You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back here for a Game 2 preview show of Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I am your host, Brendan Clean. I cover the Suns in the NBA at SB Nation as well as Dime Magazine. You can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. You can follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnPHXSuns. And that is where you can follow along as we make our way through the NBA Finals. We're back on video today. We're back Getting you ready for game two, Gerald Bourget of um, Fansided is our guest. I'm going to take the wrong name off of him here, and uh, we can get back to just our faces. But Gerald, I have a lot to get to with you, but I did want to just get your vibe from being in the arena yesterday. What an incredible experience it was to see that fan base come alive. It really was. And I mean, we've kind of been reveling at the Suns crowd and just the buildup of 11 years without playoffs and the excitement about this team. And, um, you know, honestly, some post COVID blues. These are the first games that a lot of people are going to in over a year. Um, All that buildup has made for an awesome crowd. But the energy still in game one last night was just even better somehow. Um, It was a really cool experience highlight of my journalism career so far I'm, I'm sure probably yours as well um but those fans are just nuts and being able to watch a team like this that's so fun to watch has been a really cool experience this year they keep impressing me louder and louder and louder every round <laughs> i don't know where that is coming from i guess people are just maybe attaching new vocal cords or something for each game that they come to um but let's uh let's kind of bridge the gap here game one thoughts game two thoughts what could change we'll get into uh what i want to start with which is how the sun's biggest weakness during the regular season somehow has become a huge strength for them we'll talk about Giannis if he has more in the tank and why that could be obviously pretty bad for the suns and what the suns can or what the bucks rather can actually pull from the regular season to adjust in game two Today's episode, though, folks, is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. So stay tuned later in the show for our Ultra Moment of the Week coming up in just a bit. Okay, Gerald, so to me, um, I think the the story that's kind of generating right now for the Suns in the playoffs has been the way that they seem to have an answer for everything. We talked about that a bunch last night with Brandon Duenas on uh Game one recap, saw Brooke Lopez switch. We saw P.J. Tucker going over and Brooke Lopez dropping, and Suns had an answer. We saw them pick on Michael Porter Jr., Dennis Schroeder, Andre Drummond. Pick your your target, Luke Kennard, um, Pat Connaughton. There's been a number of targets. Um, But what's crazy to me, Gerald, is that they struggled in that area as recently as the post-All-Star break. And so... I wrote this actually in a Forbes article when the Suns were eight and seven. It's a game we talked about a lot when the Denver series was happening because it was against the Nuggets. Um, Mm. But I said, while Denver exposed how aggressive defense can get the Suns off kilter and quiet down their offense, Williams was confident that they had answers. Even in disappointing losses, the Suns flashed the adjustments they can make to stay a step ahead of the defense. Fortunately, most of their answers are pretty simple. So then you have... Late April comes around, and DeAndre Ayton plays the best regular season stretch of his entire career. At that point, 
uh, on April 23rd, I wrote about how that was starting to flip. The Suns are plus 7.9 per 100 possessions with only Aiton on the floor. You'll remember the two big lineups were actually their best net rating for most of the season until the end, which was bizarre. Um, Monty says at the time that they learned from those early season things that you need to give up control a little bit to CP3 and book, kind of just let them cook, right? And then allow the switch to happen, allow the, the opponent to, to kind of do that if they want to, and then attack the second side, find the mismatch, find the opening, keep the ball moving, keep players moving. And I think that's what we've seen in the postseason. So what do you think, having been in the arena, you're, we're usually next to each other, this, this finals <laughs> we're not going to be, which is a bummer, but being yeah. there all these, all these games, what do you think the biggest keys are or were to the Suns solving it because now it's all all anybody can talk about. But during the regular season, people like you and I were worried that this would be the the death of them. Yeah, I mean, because especially early in the season, there was a very familiar your turn, my turn feel kind of like what we saw when Chris Paul first joined the Houston Rockets with James Harden. Um, you know, guys taking turns. It, the offense didn't really flow. The Suns net rating for that starting five was terrible for, you know, the first 16 games and, and beyond it, it took a while for them to be a plus together and now they're one of the best units in the playoffs um so it is impressive that chris paul and devin booker have kind of found their stride and, and they've you know attributed a lot of that to preparation they always say you know the one thing that we're not ever going to be is unprepared for a game because Monty and, and this coaching staff really put the work in as far as how to attack their opponents and we saw we've seen that throughout the playoffs. We saw that in game one, honestly, in the Clippers series, it got to the point where they were hunting mismatches a little too much, maybe um, against the switching yeah. defense. But against the Bucks, I, I was kind of uh, surprised at how bad the Bucks like point of attack defense was. They did let a lot of, um, you know, guys like P.J. Tucker and Drew Holiday, who are no normally very good in that regard. You know, Booker, Chris Paul campaign, they were kind of getting by whoever was in front of them. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of people want to blame Brooke Lopez, but they might need him out there a little bit more just to get some size out there because he's contesting some of these mid-range shots. But when Chris Paul's in his bag like that, it doesn't matter who you have on him. He's going to hit some of those tough shots. Same deal with Devin Booker when he's going. He didn't really have an efficient game last night, but... I thought he made a lot of timely buckets and was great in that first quarter to get the offense started. So, um, you know, whether it was drop coverage, whether it was switches, the Suns had an answer every time. And that's worrisome if you're a Bucks fan, because Mike Budenholzer has been more malleable in, in this playoff run as far as switching things up and and making adjustments. Yeah. But he's not an, he's not known for being an adjustments head coach. And, and Monty Williams is rapidly developing that reputation. So. I'm, I'm worried sure. about what potential counters the Bucks might have and if they will even have any because no matter what they were doing in game one, the Suns guards were getting whatever they want and that opened everything up for everyone else. No, the preparation point I think is a great one because um, it's sort of like an organized chaos a little bit, right? It's, it's you... You want to play loose, you want to play free, but you also don't want that to happen to the detriment of, you know, somebody ends up having to make a decision they're not ready to make or, you know, you don't have a plan. And that's what's been so cool is, you know, it's not just the, the LeBron James school of getting a mismatch, right, where I'm going to stand, you know, 35 feet from the basket, the guy who is having the worst defender on him is going to come screen for me, and then we're going to go from there. It's... Mm -hmm. Let's run a double drag screen. Let's run a pistol action. Let's have Booker as a decoy 
cutting away and then actually oh no he's going to come and screen back and we're going to get somebody in in rotation who doesn't want to be and Bryn Forbes is going to suddenly be in the action when he thought all he had to do was guard the corner it's it's very like again organized chaos so a, a few more numbers here and then I have one more for you um question so I, I wrote about this in that Forbes article back in January after that Nuggets game. And at that time, Chris Paul was only assisting Devin Booker 1.1 times per game. Um, that went to 1.6 times per game at the end of, uh, by the end of the regular season, I believe. And it's at 1.7 so far in the postseason. So they've connected directly on passes more and more and more as the season has gone along those eight and only lineups which is really all the Suns are playing at this point but those have survived obviously plus 7.3 per 100 possessions in the playoffs so they've settled on on an identity they found a way to not adjust and and overdo everything but get to what they knew was going to work and and make it happen Um, we've heard all season you talked about the preparation but we've also heard all season that Monty had to kind of have a certain dose of humility i think coming back mm-hmm. to coaching right to not be so scripted to not demand shots this kind of this you know um i wonder how much you think that has played a part in and why do you think it's been able to work because it's one thing for a coach to say that it's another for it to work at the very highest levels of the nba yeah i mean i think part of it obviously has to go uh, part of that credit has to go to chris paul and the relationship that Monty has with him the trust that he has with him um you know they went through a lot together in their first stint together they went through a lot together off the court as far as some of the things that have happened in Monty's personal life and how Chris Paul was there for them I don't think you can you know overstate the kind of trust and relationship that can stem from those types of things and you know it's it's one of those things where Monty has also gotten a lot of assistant head or assistant coaching experience around the league he's seen things that work seen things that don't work been on a lot of successful teams unsuccessful teams so i really do feel like he's gotten a lot of experience in that regard and in terms of being able to adjust his coaching style now that he's getting this you know new chance with chris paul again they're reuniting on this young team Um, you know, we've talked all season long about how this is kind of a perfect storm of everything coming together at the right time and Monty being more willing to, you know, seed control, hand over the reins and let Chris Paul do what Chris Paul does is an inherent part of that. Yeah. Two control freaks who kind of, uh, both, (laughs) I think in there, I, I, I mean, uh, Gina Mizell, I brought her on earlier in the season. She wrote a big story on sons.com about them their kind of journey back to each other and it really is i think it's like they both this is sort of their second or third go round at what they want to do they both get that to win you gotta kind of i think let loose he monty always talks about that popism of you know less is more and i think this team is sort of the epitome of that we're seeing it play out on the court but i think it obviously starts in uh in practice and over the course of the season but let's check in next uh gerald on some of what we saw from the bucks in the regular season and why I think the Suns should be ready for a little more of it in Game 2. Should it have taken that long? Mike Budenholzer, like you said, maybe should have been uh, ready with that in uh, the opening moments of Game 1, but I still think it could come. So we'll get to that in just a second. First, though, folks, a quick word from Michelob Ultra, who sponsors our Moment of the Week this week. Um, I can't 
really think of anything but walking around. I made a point. I'm going to get to the arena early. I woke up at the crack of dawn to start work so I could get my eight hours in, get over to downtown Phoenix and see this arena and see the, the city. And that brought me just having grown up here, having been there when there was like 7,000 fans watching a blowout and then mm-hmm. getting to see it um, decorated up, renovated, obviously, unrelated to the finals, but perfect timing there. And the entire city seemingly alive, happy, joyful, appreciative, all of those things. Michelob Ultra reminding us it's only worth it if you enjoy it. It's not really hard when your team is in the NBA Finals to remind yourself to enjoy it. But this fan base, as you said at the top of the show, Gerald, has uh, has responded in a big way. Only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Michelob Ultra reminding you enjoyment isn't the end game. It is the whole game. And they are the sponsor of our Ultra Player of the Week this week. Or Moment of the Week. Okay. Let's jump in to what we saw in the regular season from the Bucks. And a little bit on Giannis as well, because I think um, they're they're together. And I, I kind of want to start with, with the Giannis part of it and why I think if he can look more like he did in the regular season and play more and be more assertive, if that's physically possible for him, I think that in and of itself could make these games look a lot like the close slugfests that we saw in the regular season, Gerald. Um, Giannis comes out. Hyperextended knee, questionable game time decision, all of it looks absolutely fine. This the Bucks are going to him early, not not just out there, but like he is kind of playing his usual role, post ups, uh, a lob to open the game, transition scoring, everything. Um, so we did wince a couple of times in the middle of the game. I don't know how much that got across on the broadcast, but there were a couple times where he was grabbing at it and, and had to limp around for a moment. Um, what did you see from Giannis in game one? Do you think it's reasonable to expect that he can actually get to regular season MVP Ironman level of Giannis considering the health situation? Yeah, I mean, like you said, he looked good early on. He was, you know, bullying whoever the Suns threw at him, Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton. He like tossed DeAndre Ayton to the side on one dunk like he wasn't even there, yeah. which is hard to do with Ayton. Um and he's had a good game overall, 20 points, you know, 17 rebounds. Um, he made seven of his 12 free throws, which for him is acceptable. <laughs> With um, how loud that building was while he was yeah. shooting them. That's like, that, yeah, that, that has an a to be plus. the loudest he's experienced at this point. Any free throws he makes is a win for the Bucks. But um, yeah, I, I thought he looked very good early on. And then I think as the game wore on, you know, he only played 35 minutes, but that's a lot for a guy coming off a hyperextended knee about a week ago. And I'm not sure. I think maybe that he can get back to his normal Greek freak self, which was pretty evident early on. But I do worry that by the time he gets back to that, it might be too late in this series. There might be too big of a hole for the Suns or for the Bucks to come back from because the Suns are going to attack him. They're going to make him work and the Bucks need him to work if he's out there because he's obviously their best player um, on both ends of the floor. So it's one of those things where I feel like he can be good in stretches and and maybe I'm totally wrong on this and he comes out and just dominates game two, but it looked like he kind of wore down as the game went on and, and his impact was less than we thought it would be. He had that incredible chase down block on, on Mikhail bridges. Um, 
but other than that, the highlights were kind of scarce after those first and, and second quarters. Yeah, and to be honest, I think the the Suns had a game plan of of somewhat being physical with him. I talked about that lob at the very the the first possession mm-hmm. of the game. The Suns hammered him, and Crowder fouled him before he could even get a shot off. So he, I think, is. Um, you're right to say it has to be on both ends, and and I think that's kind of where I wanted to hit on here. So a few of the things we saw, if Giannis is comfortable, if he's aggressive, is or that I think we should see more of whatever way you want to kind of think about this is the pick and roll with him and Middleton mm-hmm. or him and holiday. They like hardly did. At least I went back and watched the first half again. I was obviously watching closely the first time that that was hardly a part of their offense. Um, they didn't really have control of the transition game because Giannis wasn't his usual self drawing fouls that way. It's getting to the basket, um, the zone, they didn't really seem ready for that. If Giannis is at his best, they should be able to chew apart a zone with just him in the middle of it, going to the basket. Mm-hmm. Um, and they should destroy any minutes where Aiton's not on the floor. This is all offense. We'll get to defense in a second. Um, they should be able to destroy whoever else is out there. If it's small with Tory Craig, if heaven forbid Frank Kaminsky ends up back out there, like Giannis should be able to 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 really do some damage. So. <laughs> Uh, what, what, which of those things stands out to you? What do you think is the most likely that we might see in a game two to use Giannis in, on offense and, and be a little bit more, um, effective on that end? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, you look at the transition points and the sun's won 20 to 17, but the, the bucks are usually, I mean, we're used to seeing Giannis dominate in transition because he takes one stride from half court and he's already at the rim, basically. Um, but I think in game two, if he can, if he can bear that that physical load, they need to put him in more pick and rolls, like you were saying, because that was something that we saw a lot during the regular season and in those two meetings. Um, and I think Giannis averaged like 40 in those two <laughs> meetings against the Suns. So yep. um, pretty big gap there between that and what we saw from him in game one. I think that would be the biggest thing to expect. Um, But it's really one of those things where I just don't know if you can expect it. I don't know if he's physically capable of bearing that much of the burden of responsibility on both ends because he is going to be key on the defensive end. We saw the Bucks go small with him a little bit in the second half, um, and that's kind of when they made a run there for a little bit. But And especially now with Dario Saric out for – the rest of the season, um, the rest of this playoff run, you know, if the Suns tried out Frank Kaminsky again, uh, that's going to be problematic. And if they go small, they need Giannis to be able to punish that by playing him at the five. So he's going to be, I mean, obviously this is a uh, <laughs> captain obvious alert. He's going to be key to the series, but especially now um, that Deandre Ayton is going to have to log heavier minutes the Suns might have to yeah. trot out Kaminsky or they might have to go small with like Craig or Jay Crowder at the five for stretches. Um, they survived game one last night in Kaminsky's four minutes. He was plus or minus zero, which is what the Suns will take all there day, every day for however long he's out there. Um, yeah. But, you know, I a mean, guy a guy like Craig being minus 10, that's kind of what the Bucks will want to see moving forward. Yeah. I mean, and the reality is Giannis, like I said, should be able to do anything he wants either way, whether it's Craig mm. or it's or it's Frank Kaminsky or if it was Dario Saric, who, yes, as you said, unfortunately, we found out just as we were hitting record, tore his ACL. Um, 
just terrible for a guy who's had so many ups and downs in his NBA career. Um, yeah. The first process player to get to the, to the finals oh, and the most process possible res- result for him. So he'll get his ring if the Suns get it done, but obviously he would have wanted to be out there. Um, but let's let's get a little bit more into the defense really quick here. So I think another reason why I'm more comfortable assertive Giannis, if that's possible, um, and I don't even, like, he played 35 minutes. I, obviously, you'd hope that could go up a little more. I think Middleton played 45, so, mm-hmm. you know, Minutes is one thing, but even if he just, okay, like, I can do this, I feel fine, I'm not tired, I'm not in pain, like, maybe that level of just, like, doing it once could help him, and on the defensive end, this the passing lanes, those easy rhythm shots, I just think you see less of them if Giannis is his, like, defensive player of the year self, and there were a lot of clips going around, especially on the defensive end of Giannis, just, frankly, not helping um, mm-hmm. when we would normally expect him to do that. We've already heard a ton of people calling for the Bucks to have Lopez hedge, kind of like they have Jokic do in Denver, sliding the feet on the perimeter, getting a hand in, in Chris's or, or Devin's face right away. Um, but that only works, right? If Giannis is on the backside, ready to protect the rim, we saw that. Aaron Gordon wasn't up to it. Paul Millsap wasn't up to it. All these guys in Denver, it's a hard scheme to execute. If Giannis is there, I think they can do it. If if he's hurt, it kind of in you know half half of himself, whatever. I don't think he's even going to want to do that, let alone be able to execute it at a high level. So I guess to say in a perfect Bucks world um, where he does all of that, I think this is a closer series. It seems like you think so, too. Um, yeah. Should Suns fans be expecting that? Should we think that that's possible? Or I guess just did you see any signs that maybe he can step it up? Or do you feel like this is what we should expect, this sort of will he, won't he type of thing all serious? I think this might be what we can expect. Maybe like you were saying, it's a case where he just kind of needed to get his feet wet again because it's been a, you know, he hasn't played on this injury before and he's playing on it now in the finals. Um, So there's a lot of different things going on. And it had been about a week, right, since he injured it. So that's, you know, a factor. Yeah. So it's it's very fresh. It's still new. Um, So there's a chance that maybe he just needed to get his surroundings again and, and, you know, he'll go back and watch the tape and realize all these instances where he would normally be in a good help spot as a weak side guy. But, um, you know, that would make a huge difference in this series because with that, you know, hedging, you need to send some help towards Chris Paul and Devin Booker. You need to cloud their passing lanes a little bit, kind of like we saw them do with the Lakers, especially when Chris Paul was hampered and they really took away Devin Booker's passing lanes because he had to operate in that role. Um, but the key to that was having a guy like Anthony Davis, a very long athletic, smart help defender. Giannis is obviously that caliber of player when he's fully healthy. I just don't know if he is at that stage because like you were saying in game one, there were a lot of instances where it looked like, you know, where's the help coming from? Where is, where's Giannis to kind of save this defensive possession? Like he so often does. And it just didn't happen. So if that's the case, the Bucks could be in trouble because if they try to clamp down too much on Devin Booker and Chris Paul in the mid-range where they really hurt them in game one, you know, the Suns only shot 32% from three. So people saying that the Suns can't play better than they did in game one, that that was like as good as they can play. That's not right because the Suns can absolutely play much better. If you clamp down on that mid-range shot and the Suns find their shooters and their, their shooters actually start hitting, then that opens up a whole new can of worms for the Bucks defense. So 
it, there's a lot of pressure on Giannis right now and on the Bucks with that pick and roll coverage to kind of figure out how to limit those mid-range looks without giving up the three and, you know, hopefully getting a better game out of Giannis if he's capable of that physically at this point. Yeah, obviously, you know, a lot to just sort of keep an eye on as we just think about uh, the opening moments of game two. Is is it does it look different? Does he have more energy on defense? And then obviously over the course of the game, can he maintain that high level play heavier minutes, etc. Uh, let's close out, though, with um, a little bit more of what we saw in game in the regular season that could be a factor in game two and um, why the Bucks didn't go to it, what might change more on the non-Giannis side. First, though, folks, a quick word from Rock Auto with the ever-increasing number of makes and models for cars, trucks, whatever you drive. It can be a pain to just head over to your dealership, to just feel like I'm going to walk in the door and get what I need. Um, that's unfortunately easier said than done. So you have a computer, you have the internet, you have access to rockauto.com, you don't need an account, and you can find your part easier. You can have an easier time. You can trust that it's going to be a reliably low price and save you time as well. All you do when you get to Rock Auto, which is a family business, it's been doing this for a while, they know what they are doing, is you're gonna type in that car, that truck, whatever you drive, there's a landing page right for that vehicle. Scroll down to what you need, click it, buy it, and it's at your door within days. The prices don't jump around. The login, there's no subscription necessary. It's very easy. The prices, again, reliably low for everybody. Other places like to change it around based on if you're a pro, if you've gone uh, to mechanic school, you have a little license, whatever it is, they're going to try to screw you. Rock Auto doesn't do that. So, Check out everything available for your car or truck right now at rockauto.com. And when you make your purchase, write locked on in there. How did you hear about us box? So they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. All right, let's close it off here, Gerald. Um, my kind of thought, and I don't get it, is that Milwaukee somehow came into the NBA finals not taking the Suns seriously enough. Um, feeling like they could maybe, I, I get a lot of it is Giannis, but I just, I mean, a lot of it's Bud too, right? This is a habit of his, but like, it's just, the Suns have won every game one in the postseason, And I feel like I came away from every game one feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Like they're in the finals and teams still kind of head into game one feeling like let's run our, our normal kind of stuff. Let's feel it out. Let's see what we can do. And then the Suns are able to take control of series. So um, you know, just thinking back to the regular season, we saw stuff like full court pressure from Drew Holiday on Chris Paul. We saw um, way more creative ways to get Giannis, Middleton, even Portis good shots. We did see some of that in the first quarter. Going back and watching, I was like, okay, they actually got some, you know, quick hitting post ups, things like that. They just missed shots in the first quarter, missed some layups, offensive rebound tips that they just didn't go in. Um, and just going small, which is the obvious thing everybody always talks about with Milwaukee. But what do you think, you know, just having watched these Bucks for so long, having seen those regular season matchups, all this stuff we didn't necessarily see them do, what do you think is the biggest adjustment we might see from Milwaukee tonight in game two? I mean, I, I think you've got to go with the offense being so stagnant and just running more offense. And we've seen it for some reason. We've seen it out of the Bucks a lot in this postseason, which is kind of weird because if you look at their regular season, 
their offense was what upgraded and their defense was kind of, you know, taking a step back from its normal. I think it was, they were number one in defensive rating the year before. Um, so it seemed like they were more offensively inclined, but, um, you know, we saw it in game one, like they didn't run the whole lot. It, possessions just kind of died sometimes and they didn't really know what to do. Um, and maybe some of that trickles down from, you know, reincorporating Giannis after kind of having to play two very important games without him um, and trying to figure out what he's capable of at this point. Um, but, and the Suns, you know, we should give the Suns credit as well. Their defense really mucks things up. Like they're just a phenomenal rotating defense, but the Bucks didn't really make them rotate all that much either because the offense was so stagnant. Um, you yeah. know, we, we talked about the Giannis and Drew Holiday pick and rolls or the Giannis and Chris Middleton pick and rolls that weren't really all that prevalent. Um, you know, I, I just don't. And we've got, you know, crunch time in the fourth quarter and you've got Bryn Forbes coming down the court and taking a Dirk Nowitzki like one legged fadeaway <laughs> from the mid range. And it's just very it's, painful shot. Yeah, there's there was just like no rhyme or reason to their offense. It wasn't methodical. And you compare it to an offense like the Suns that was just surgical all night and it stands out even more. Um, so I think in, in game two and again, this is worrisome if you're a Bucks fan, because I don't. I don't trust Mike Budenholzer when it comes to making game to game adjustments in big series. But if you are Budenholzer, if you are a Bucks fan, you're hoping that the adjustment is just emphasizing running more offense and, and making the Suns rotate, you know, trying to find mismatches. If you can, it's a lot tougher against this type of defense, but they really didn't make the Suns work all that much. And, and like you were saying, after they missed some shots in the first quarter, when they actually were running some stuff, it seems like they kind of veered away from that more than they really should have. Yeah, I think if you're, you know, the starting lineup is the same or some of those bench lineups, you want to run stuff. Mm -hmm. And like Drew Holiday, who everybody's obviously rightly sort of poking at after the game, 4 of 14, I think he was, mm -hmm. he had a drive to the basket, a pretty good clean layup early on in the game. He missed it. It didn't even hit the rim, which I get being demoralized, but it's like you're the second best player or third best player on your team. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter. You can miss six layups and you got to take the seventh one. Right. So mm -hmm. I think staying aggressive. But then when they don't have those guys in there, the, the the starters, the sort of traditional lineup, I think they have to just be a little bit more, you know, vicious about it like the Suns are and, and finding those mismatches and attacking them. And we saw very, very late again, like, you know, almost too late it was too late that Chris Middleton was on the elbow against Chris Paul. And I think that that can work stuff like that, where it's like run some initial stuff, get Middleton isolated on a mismatch and have him go to work. That can be good for them. Mm. Um, and, and holiday and the pick and roll, all these things we've talked about. My biggest thing is um, the defensive matchups, because I get the Tucker on Chris Paul thing. Jeff Van Gundy highlighted it right away. If Tucker can switch off of a pick and roll with Aiton, then you still have Tucker on Aiton and you feel pretty good about that. And I, and I get that. I think we'll see, though, in, in game two, probably a little bit more of a traditional defense. Maybe it's the hedging. Maybe it's just a drop that isn't so deep from Lopez. Um, but matchup wise, I think Holiday on Paul and Middleton on Booker, which is what we saw basically the entire 96 minutes of their regular season matchups. And they hardly did mm -hmm. it in in game one. Um, at least both of those guys doing that for the full um, you know quarter at a time or whatever. And more aggressiveness from both of those guys, more defensive intensity. Maybe it's full court pressure from Holiday on Paul, these things we've talked about. Um, 
and Giannis able to help in a more traditional way obviously would help. Um, but it's just like, I guess I'm saying that. And then I wonder, are, am I arguing for the base defense that we already know doesn't always work for the Bucks? Like, I guess, do you think, do you see a way that Milwaukee could actually win maybe by not getting so uncomfortable and sort of returning to somewhat of maybe like a more aggressive normal, if you want to call it that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think at this stage you have to try it because it's one of those things where if you look at game one, whatever they were doing was not working. You know, like even with the the Tucker thing where you could switch him on to Aiton, the Suns were just having their wing from the opposite side flash to the middle, get him the ball, and then it's a simple high-low because there's no help defender there anymore. Um, so they had an answer for like everything that the Bucks were trying to do with their defense situated the way that it was. So I think you're right. I think in game two, you have to put holiday on, on Paul, um, you know, put some length and some size on Booker to make his life difficult and, you know, try to do something that just makes your guys more comfortable because you're not going to get a win in Phoenix, you know, being tactically outplayed at every turn, like we saw in game one. And that's the biggest concern for me. If I'm a Bucks fan is like game one was not encouraging from a standpoint of how prepared the Bucks are going to be. You know, we, we should give them the benefit of the doubt because they couldn't make adjustments in game two. But if those adjustments aren't there, I I don't know. (laughs) It's going to, it's going to be rough for the Bucks. If they aren't, if they aren't there, it'll feel like, a lot of other Bucks games, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just it's it's the reality. I think Suns fans are have to be appreciative that they somehow we we knew how big of a deal it was that Monty Williams was going to come here at the time. No one underestimated that, but mm. the idea that he would be like an actual factor that you're winning in your matchup in the NBA Finals, mm-hmm. that is a whole other step, and it's it's really, really incredible. Um, but I agree with you. I think comfort, that's a good kind of way to put it because whether it's, it's Giannis or any of the other stars on that team, I just think they were not put into situations necessarily to succeed, especially on the offensive end. So uh, we'll have to see if they do go back to something more traditional, if they pull something out of the bag. I think we will see more small ball as well. I, I just... I can't help but just think about like the differences when they're playing big versus when they're playing small, and it doesn't feel like they have a switch to flip mm-hmm. to play a very different style when they're small versus when they're big. And maybe other people who have watched them all the time know that, but that's been what stood out to me is like they try to do the same things when they're big as they do when they're small on both ends of the floor, and it's just it doesn't uh, it doesn't seem very obviously effective so i think somebody like bobby portis could have a bigger game if if they you know put him in a better position it's 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 not the best the suns have looked but it's also very much not the best that the bucks have looked so they have a lot of room to grow just by doing some of these simple things that i think we've already seen them do i do just want to shout out the big reason and we talked about this at the top the big reason it's such a nightmare to handle is because deandre ayton's actually a threat Right, you were talking about the the high low passing and the elements that there just start to be too many calculations the defense has to make guarding these Suns. It's because Aiton actually is somebody who can score now, right? He's mm-hmm. somebody who you have to devote resources to defensively. It's why PJ Tucker somehow is guarding a point guard because you don't want to switch a bad small defender onto DeAndre Aiton. And that wouldn't have been a problem 
at, for many, I mean, maybe <laughs> up until these playoffs, mm-hmm. right? Like you would never have been like, we're going to devise a defensive scheme so that we don't get beaten by DeAndre Ayton. In the past, teams would have been like, great, make him beat us. But that's just not the case anymore. He's been incredible. And obviously, Dante DiVincenzo not being in there um, just makes lineup building a pain in the butt for Bud. If, if they had him, they could put together some switching lineups that actually work. But um, just a couple caveats, because I know it's it's it can seem simple when we're doing a 30-minute podcast, but I know it's not. Uh, I just think the Suns seem to have a lot more answers than the Bucks do right now. Um, any last thoughts on the series as we get to get, get head to game two, Gerald, any, um, pieces you want folks to read, whatever you got for us as we close out here? Yeah, sure. I, I think the last thing that you said about Aiton is totally apt, um, because, you know, a couple of months ago, the headline was why isn't Deandre Aiton dunking more? And now <laughs> he's dunking all the time and it's pretty phenomenal to watch his growth. And, and Chris Paul and Devin Booker said a lot of glowing things about him, which were, Really cool to hear because this guy has played with a lot of pressure, all the Luka Doncic comparisons, and rightfully so, but he's been incredible, and he's he's a big reason why they're here. But um, as far as my work is concerned, you can follow me on Twitter at Gerald Bourget. You can check out my work at fansided.com slash NBA, a lot of Suns content right now, obviously. Um, and then I'm also the host of the Valley of the Suns podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can check that out as well. All right, folks, that does it for us today. We got to get to media availability here in a couple of minutes. Uh, we'll be, I will be back after game two, so check the feeds then. We'll be on YouTube throughout the finals. Enjoy the run. Enjoy the show. Come back here all the time. Subscribe, everything that you normally do, and uh, enjoy your Thursday.